church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
Please be seated. Father, we want to uh, thank you today that uh, Christ has risen from the grave and that in you bringing him from death to life, you have given us victory over all that the evil one and death brings against us. And we come today to celebrate as we continue in this Easter season. Father, even as we, we celebrate what you've done through Christ, we know that you are with us and we know that you hear us when we pray and that you invite us to come and to offer our prayers. And so we do just that this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace upon all connected to us and even our own hearts that struggle with grief and loss and pain. We thank you for your healing grace upon all who are struggling with issues of health. We thank you for your ability to heal relationships that are fractured. We thank you for your ability to lead us and guide us throughout the the various twists and turns of life. We thank you for being with us in every moment. Father, we we pray for not only ourselves, but for the world in which we live. We, we pray for your grace to, to continue to be at work among your church around the world. We thank you for those you have called and who have willingly obeyed to serve you in various places of the world. And think especially of the graduates of Houghton College and those who are preparing to go out this summer and and into the next year and years. We ask that your grace will be upon each one as they serve you. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who live, so many who live with threats and opposition and persecution and stress and pressure because they claim the name of Jesus. We ask that you would protect them. We pray, Father, that your arms of love and grace would be around them, giving them courage and the willingness and the ability to speak the truth through Christ. Father, we, we pray for refugees. We pray for the place of the world where there is violence and war and threats of war and ask that you would bring peace and healing. Father, we thank you for all of your blessings in our lives. Thank you for your grace and mercy at work in us, in this place, beyond us. Today we come and worship you, knowing that you hear our prayers, and that you are at work answering in the way that you know is best. We ask all of this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We're thankful for all our college students that attend in all three services, and uh, in each service we've been introducing one of our students, letting them share just a word of testimony of how God has used them uh, and worked with their lives during these four years that they've been at Houghton. Uh, Privileged to introduce a good friend, Kaylee Pract, who's here. She comes from right near here, down the road, Gowanda, New York. Uh, I know that Kaylee has... um, 
done a lot of ministry here at our church, working with the nursery for the women's Bible studies. Uh, she teaches Sunday school to some of you, some of the academy students each week. I don't know if they will admit it or you want to admit it, but they're probably out here right now. And uh, on campus, she's very active in gospel choir, and also she's uh, worked with the, uh, what am I trying to think of, uh, GCF, how could I forget, Global Christian Fellowship. She's been a leader of there for several years. So it's a real privilege, and we just wanted to invite our friend Kaylee to share a few words of what God's meant to her during her time at college. Kaylee. Well, Papa Shea didn't really tell me what I was supposed to say. He's kind of good at being vague, so I, so I just took it and ran with it. Um, so I wanted to talk about you guys a little bit, though, and the way that you've impacted me during my time here. And I figure the best way to do that, you know how sometimes like what people say about you when you're not there is the best way to gauge who you actually are? So uh, I just wanted to tell you, I'm a tour guide, and so I give tours every single week at the college. And sometimes people will ask, like, oh, why doesn't Houghton College, like, have church on Sunday? Like, you guys are a Christian college. And I say, well, actually, it's because we want to be a part of, the, a, part of a community, a part of a greater body of believers, a part of a body of believers that's not just composed of 20-somethings and professors, because that can be a little suffocating sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you tend to think, wow, the next four years of my life are the only thing that matters. But being with older people and younger people really helps to shape who you are and think in the long term and think about more people. And so I've been so blessed. I don't know if I see any of the kids that I take care of on Friday mornings, but I've been so blessed by um, being able to snuggle a baby on a Friday morning is one of the best things that has gotten me through (laughs) classes and um, whatnot. Um, Just seeing Seeing you loving moms in this community and loving dads, too, has been such a blessing to me. Um, And then also my Sunday school girls, I love you so much, even though sometimes it's a little crazy. Um, And they constantly give me a reality check and ask really tough questions. I'm an intercultural studies major, and, you know, I can read all the books in the world and try to learn about someone else's culture, but to actually be able to sit down on a weekly basis and talk about what Christ means to a group of Chinese girls has been so impactful to me um, during my time at Houghton. Uh, And so I wanted to read you all a quote. Uh, I'm sure we're all familiar with Lilius Trotter after the Lilius Trotter Center here up at Houghton. Um, And so I just wanted to share this quote from Lilius. It's got a picture of like a dandelion with the little poofs flowing away. So it says, Measure thy life by loss and not by gain, not by wine drunk, oops, sorry, Wesleyans, (laughs) not by wine drunk, but by the wine poured forth, for love's strength standeth in love's sacrifice, and he who suffers most has most to give. I am ready to be offered. And so I think that Houghton College is a place where I've seen so many people pour themselves out constantly in service of one another. And thankfully, I've been able to pour myself out in service a little bit too. And I think that's what the body of Christ really is about, is about uh, constantly pouring into one another so that we can keep pouring and, oh, sorry, I hit the mic, (laughs) and just um, pouring into each and every one so that we can overflow with Christ's love. Um, and now I'm a senior. I'm graduating when Pastor West was praying about, oh, our graduates who are going out into the world. And I was like, that's me. 
but I'm ready to be offered. I'm ready to be offered to the world after the um, exemplary uh, character witness I've seen from the church at Houghton Wesleyan and Houghton College. So thank you all so much. to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Please be seated. This is a day when we are taking a few moments to recognize our college graduates. We're going to recognize our high school graduates at the end of May. But uh, today is about college graduates, and uh, we want you to know how much we have loved having you be a part of this church and uh, having the opportunity to connect with you and you with us. So we want to uh, want to give you just a, a small token of uh, a remembrance. Uh, we have a bookmark that we printed up with the blessing of uh, Aaron. It comes from number 624 of the Lord bless you and keep you that we often say at the end of worship and benediction on Sundays. So I want to ask you to do something. Uh, I want to ask you if you're a graduating senior this year, uh, in the next week or so, uh, if you would just stand so we can give you, know who you are, we'll hand you a bookmark, and then we want to take a moment to pray for you. So if you're uh, preparing to graduate from college, please stand, whether you're in the balcony or down here in, on the lower level, please stand. And stay standing a minute. We want to, I'm going to ask people who are, who are close to the graduates, if you're around them, uh, kind of circle them a little bit, and uh, if you feel comfortable, lay hands on them or at least stand around them, and uh, we're going to offer prayer for you. Uh, so if you're near one of the graduates, or if you want to walk somewhere else to where you see a graduate, maybe someone you know, uh, or someone that needs to pray for them, please uh, gather around them now, and we're going to offer prayer. If you're not near one of the graduates, or if you're watching on the streaming, uh, we encourage you to just offer sort of a generic prayer, a general prayer. We're going to put a, there's some things on the screens here about things you can pray for in general. So let me just encourage you to in, uh, let the student introduce uh, him or herself to you. And there's a couple to each of them. And then those of you who want, two or three of you, uh, offer prayer for the, for the students. And then I'll wrap up our prayer time here in just a moment.
you, Father, for your uh, presence and your grace in the life of each of these graduates. We celebrate them today. We thank you for all their families who have supported them and loved them and for the connections they've made, their relationships, for all that they've learned, just the privilege of being able to uh, engage in this kind of education. As they move on to the next stage of life, we pray that you would fill them with uh, the gift of your spirit. Continue to bring them back to the things that you have implanted in them, the truths, the relationships, the the joyful times, as well as your presence in the difficult times. And may they sense you leading and guiding them. As they think about the future, there may be a lot of uncertainty about the future. Help them to know that you are good, you are trustworthy, and that they can follow you with confidence. So may your blessing and mercy and grace be upon them in every way. And may they know our love and our support. And every time they look at this bookmark, may they remember this moment and remember that you are who you say you are and that the church is a part of their lives and them a part of the church. We thank you, Father, for all of your blessings, and we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold won at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be given from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
So about four years ago, uh, I was teaching a, uh, a class at the college, um, fall semester. I taught first half of the semester, and then Cindy and I taught another class second half of the semester. And uh, we had a great time doing that. One of the students that was in both classes was Will Bruno. And uh, we got a great opportunity to get to know Will a little bit more uh, through experiencing both classes. And we have continued to have the opportunity to uh, interact with him on a variety in a variety of ways over the course of the past uh, few years. And it's been really exciting to have him work as our intern this semester. He has done a great job, and we've tried to give him an experience, a wide experience of uh, as much as we can about what happens in pastoral ministry. And uh, I, he's been a great I- encouragement to us, and uh, we've had a good time together. And as we thought about the, uh, this day and, and honoring and recognizing college graduates, we thought this would be a great opportunity for him to share and to preach today. And so we are excited to have Will share the Word of God with us this morning. Well, good morning. Well, uh, I just wanted to... Before I begin, just thank each and every one of you for the warm welcome um, I've received this semester at Houghton Wesley, and uh, I really appreciate everyone who's taken the time to uh, pray for me or meet with me. Um, a special thanks to Pastor West and the, the rest of the team here at the church. It's just been an awesome experience, um, really good. So I had told Pastor West before I got up this morning, um, I said, you know, I'm leaving in two weeks. I got nothing to lose. You better be careful. Who knows what I might say? So, you know. (laughs) He responded by saying, well, you have a grade depending on that. So join me in a word of prayer, please. Father, we thank you for the many gifts that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you for uh, the gift of coming together as a body and worshiping you. Pray that you would move in the hearts of everyone gathered here this morning. And I pray that your gospel would go forth, that your words would be preached, and that you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever risked something in your life? Most of us have. If you're breathing, you probably have at some point. But um, I was reflecting upon this idea of risk, and uh, I was especially brought back to this past August, when my brother Dave, who some of you might remember, graduated from Houghton in 2015, um, decided it was time to propose to his then-girlfriend, Stephanie Ford, who also graduated in 2015. So, uh, so th- he was going to do this up in uh, Buffalo. He had a spot picked out. So I went up with him to kind of help him out with that. or help, you know, And uh, we, we decided to do a dry run beforehand. So, you know, want to minimize any uh, potential mistakes that could happen. So he decided he wanted to, to propose out on the end of a, a pier in Buffalo. So it was about two miles out to the end of the pier. So you, I really love my brother because I, you know, did that, that walk with him just to, to scope it out. And we, we put some little battery-powered lights on the end of the pier so that it would look all pretty and um, all that sort of thing. And my job for the actual... Uh, you know, the real deal when he was going to actually propose to her was to go out to the pier beforehand and kind of climb down on the, off the end of the pier into like this little crag in the rocks and like wedge myself in amidst all these like cobwebs and spiders and stuff and sit there with a camera in my hands 
and a GoPro video recorder strapped to my forehead <laughs> and wait for the big moment. And then, if anyone else was to come to the pier beforehand, it was my job to climb up, be kind of this like creepy guy, climb me up from underneath and say, hey, would you mind please moving on? My brother's about to come out here and propose. So, yeah, most of the people were pretty good about it. Um, uh, so when he finally got out there, uh, like you might expect, he had a, a question for Stephanie. On Tuesday, October 29th, 1929, America watched as Wall Street traded 16 million shares of stock on the New York Stock Exchange in a single day. Billions of dollars were lost, and thousands of investors were uh, destroyed financially in a single day. The event would later become known as Black Tuesday in American history and was the single greatest event that caused the spark of the Great Depression. As I was uh, saying just a couple of minutes ago, I'm the, the pastoral intern this semester, and I'm also a senior. And what's incredible to me is that about um, at the beginning of the semester, all of you and Pastor Wes and everyone knew that I would be graduating at the end of it, and I would be leaving you. Yet you still chose to invest in me and to pour into my life, for which I am very grateful. You parents in the room, you're really kind of crazy when you think about it, because, well, for more reasons than one, but for one thing, because you willingly choose to have a child that you know from the start the plan is for you to pour all of yourself into that child or children, and then for at least 20 years to carry this outpouring of love and energy. And then the plan is that they will leave you. Doesn't make a real lot of sense, but we do it anyway, or you do it anyway. In this passage we just read in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about three servants. The one who received five bags of gold, two bags of gold and one bag of gold. Some translations call them talents, but same thing. What's most incredible to me about this passage is that the master, or Jesus, doesn't oversee his finances himself. He gives these servants the bags of gold and asks them to take care of it for him. Now, if you're anything like me, you might not feel real comfortable with giving someone else your money and asking them to look after it for you. I might do this if it was somebody that I really trusted or somebody that had a, a large financial background in this sort of thing. But we don't, from this passage, get any indication that these servants were anything particularly extraordinary with a background in finance. For all we know, these guys might have been the, you know, planting carrots the day before out in the field. And Jesus, or the master, asks them to look after his wealth. And you might even say, okay, well, you know, maybe he's trying to, to he has a lot of responsibilities, trying to kind of unload some of that onto these servants. But you would think he would at least watch over them and kind of micromanage them at the beginning until they learn the tricks of the trade. But he doesn't. From what we're told, the master gives them the wealth and then he leaves on a journey. Now in this parable, of course, the master is Jesus and the Servants are his audience, or you could say you and I. And the bags of gold represent money or anything else that we've been given. 
When the master returns from his journey, he praises the two servants, the one who had five bags and the one who had two. But his words to the one, the one who had the one bag, seem pretty harsh. I mean, you'd think Jesus might say, like, well, that wasn't the brightest move to bury the bag of gold, but, you know, live and learn, or, well, I'm at least thankful that I doubled my investment on the five and the two. Almost seems like the master's being a little bit greedy when he says, you wicked servant. The more I reflected upon this, I thought, you know, I've gotten, I've read this passage before, and it's always sort of scared me. Because I think that Jesus is talking about followers in this passage, people that want to follow him. And my thought is, well, what if I'm burying my bag of gold? How do I know if I'm burying my treasure? I hope I'm doing enough. I hope I'm investing enough. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. I think that is a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is, just as his servant had. We can never work our way to salvation. See, the servant feared God, which is a good thing. We're commanded to fear God. In Proverbs it says, you know, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. But this servant has a warped fear of God, one that causes him to, move, to be immobilized, a fear that petrifies him. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the, um, the story of Swiss Family Robinson, but I, uh, I read that as a, as a child or... Maybe my parents read it to me. And this one part of it always stood out to me, and I still remembered it when I was thinking about this. And it's that the family was going hunting. They needed food. And there was a, there was a deer that they saw. So they, of course, were looking forward to a nice venison, venison dinner. But they, uh, they couldn't understand as they were moving toward the deer why it didn't start to run away. So they killed it very easily, and it didn't move, and they thought that was pretty strange. It wasn't until after they killed it and they were going to the deer that they looked up and realized that there was a giant poisonous snake wrapped around a tree. And the deer was so petrified that it couldn't move. Now, I don't necessarily believe that the Swiss family Robinson is the inspired word of God or anything like that, but I do think that it's rather interesting that it was a snake that immobilized the deer. See, Satan is the father of lies, and we know that the Word of God says so. And he warps a proper view of God and makes us believe, or wants us to believe, something that's not true. See, so a healthy fear of God is one that brings us to a place of awe and a place of reverence. But the warped view says, fear the presence of God, fear being around God. And that's a view that drives us farther away from God. You know, I was, uh, I was out in Colorado this, about a week ago at a, at a conference. And we had a lot of meetings during the day and stuff. But one day I did get the chance to kind of slip away for an afternoon and um, explore Rocky Mountain National Park. And I don't know if any of you have been there, but the views are absolutely, like, breathtaking. They're gorgeous. The Rocky Mountains are all around. And as I was driving up, if anyone's ever been to a national park, you know that the road is always on the side of a cliff. And it's always winding, and there's never a guardrail, which makes the view beautiful, but it's not the greatest for, uh, you know, saving your life. But anyway, as I was kind of going up the side of the mountain, 
it was all nice and sunny down where I started out. And as I got higher, it started to snow, and a cloud sort of moved in. And before I knew it, it was completely whited out all around me. And I could see the people around me, but I couldn't see the other mountains on the other side or the valley or anything else. And it brought me to a place where I was like, wow, God, you're awesome and mighty, and this is powerful. And I think that's the type of awe and reverence and fear that we're supposed to have. In this passage in Matthew, rather than fearing the master, the servant should have been inspired by the master's love for him, of giving him a chance with this bag of gold, an opportunity that the master had passed what he had on to this servant. And then likewise, the servant should have passed that on to invest in others. That's essentially what investing is. It's an act of trust that when we give up what we already have, we hope and anticipate and fully expect to receive a greater return in the end than what we had originally. I think a lot of times, if we're honest, we kind of have a similar view of God that this servant had. We worry and fear about relationships in our life, about trusting others enough to enter into a potentially messy relationship with them, so we kind of pull back and, and don't pass it on what Christ has given to us. You know, you as a church and parents in the room who have children, you know, you've cared for us. And I wonder why. You care because you believe and hope and pray for that there is potential in your children. And as a church, you believe that there was potential in me. So you invest and you pour and you give of yourself because you believe that God can do something great with your investment. I think that's the same type of mindset that God has for us, you know. The God who made you and me sent his son in the biggest investment, the most outrageous rescue mission in history, even though we are the types of people that put him on the cross, you know, the churchgoers, the weekly synagogue-goers, those were the types of people that wanted him nailed to the cross, yet he came for us. You know, when Dave proposed to Stephanie in August, he was pretty nervous, and I think understandably so. Anyone who's been in that position probably knows how he felt. And the reason he's nervous, was nervous, is because he proposed exactly five years to the day since they had first met. And over those five years, he had poured his time, his energy, his love, his care, his concern for her into her. And that's a big investment in someone. And he came to the point after five years where he had given her everything he had, save one. The only thing he had left that he could still give was himself. So on that day in August, when he got down on one knee, he was offering everything of who he was to her. And to truly love her, he had to give her the option of saying no, of rejecting him. And that's a pretty scary place after you've invested that much. And thankfully, she had the reaction that he was hoping for of saying, you know, you haven't, I'm so inspired by your investment in me, and what can I do but return and give that love back to you as well. I think that's the, exactly the desire of, that Christ has for us of love when he gave all of himself to us, that we would turn around and give ourselves back to him. But he has to, to truly love us. He gives us the option to walk away.
I think there's something inside each of us that knows we're made to risk. We're made in the image of God, and that means risk is built inherently into us. I mean, why else do people do things like skydiving and bungee jumping that really don't make any sense other than to kill yourself, potentially, uh, if we didn't know that risk is a part of who we are? What Christ requires of us is that we risk by passing on what he has already given to us to others. Whether that be our time, our efforts, our energy, or the very gospel itself which gave us life, Jesus doesn't care about stuff. He cares about the human heart. He cares about you and me as people. He's a relational God, and he wants to enter into that relationship with us. You know, I don't think it's anything, any uh, coincidence that this passage in Matthew is located where it is. It's directly before a passage about the final judgment. And if we take a look at what it says in verses 34 through 36 in Matthew chapter 25, if you'll read with me, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And if you read further on in that passage, you'll see that the people on his right, those that are his own, they didn't even know that they were doing anything that unusual. They didn't think that they were being all that great because it was a fundamental heart transplant of who they were as human beings. Their very DNA, the core of who they were, had been changed. And you'll see the people on his left, they didn't know that they were doing anything wrong either because they were still focused on living off of the old world principle, whereas the people on his right were focused off of living off kingdom principle already on earth. And I think that's why Jesus or the master got so angry with this servant. It's because he was functioning off of a type of principle that's focused on me first and not taking those risks and self-centeredness. And the master, I don't think, was really being that harsh. I think he was just giving him over to the desires that he already had in his life and saying, if you don't want to be part of a kingdom economy now, why would you want to be a part of that for all of eternity? So if you don't want to enter into God's presence, then you don't have to. And I think that's all the master was doing. See, in the kingdom economy, we don't see our things as our own. We see everything we have as a gift from God, including the gospel, and we pass that on to others. You know, in this passage I read that immediately follows uh, the parable, Jesus talks about a number of different people, groups specifically, and if you're anything like me, you know, I appreciate when the, when the Bible gives me a good list to hold on to. I'm a very list-oriented person. And I don't think uh, that this is an exhaustive list, and I certainly don't want to, um, you know, fall into any type of legalism that you have to make a checklist of all these things. But it is helpful if we look. He talks about hungry and thirsty people. Now, thankfully, this church has a great food pantry ministry that you can get involved in if you want. He talks about welcoming strangers. I can tell you from firsthand experience that there are a lot of oftentimes very lonely college students just up the hill at the campus. And some of them, although may appear normal, a lot of others are stranger than you might expect. So 
certainly fit the bill of welcoming strangers if you want to do that. I'm sure they would love a meal from you or invitation to your home. Jesus also talks about visiting the sick. And there's a nursing home just up the hill called Absolute Care. And Pastor Paul visits there every single week. And I know he'd probably appreciate some company. He also talks about visiting those in prison. And Dan and Kathy Moore run a, a jail ministry here at the church. So I say these things not to, to make anyone feel guilty or anything like that, but just to show how truly blessed we are to have the opportunity to be in such a vibrant church community like this and how we have the opportunities to give and to pass that on which Christ first gave to us. Relationships are hard and messy and risky. But do not worry, for the same God who clothes the lilies of the field and who knows when even one sparrow falls knows who you are and died for you. I think he can handle putting our, our, us putting ourselves out there and risking to build relationships. You know, on Black Tuesday, 1929, when the stock market crashed, a lot of people started panicking and losing faith. They started pulling out their investments. They started pulling out their money from the banks. And they started losing faith in each other and in the system. And instead, they started burying their money under their mattresses and keeping it all to themselves. This was the start of the Great Depression. However, the Great Depression didn't last forever. On December 7, 1941, a day that will live in infamy, the Japanese launched a surprise attack on U.S. forces in Pearl Harbor which sent the nation into a state of grief. On June 6, 1944, however, Allied forces launched the greatest nautical invasion ever seen as they launched D-Day on the shores of Normandy and started the liberation of Nazi-occupied Europe. Maybe you're now in the midst of your own Black Tuesday moment. Maybe, you've seen, maybe there's been a relational investment that's crashed and burned right in front of you. Maybe it was a friend, a spouse, coworker, maybe even the church. Perhaps you even feel like a relationship with God that you've tried to cultivate has crashed too. And friend, these feelings can sometimes send us into our own season of Great Depression. But Black Tuesday wasn't the first time that an investment had gone bad in history. I don't know if it was for fact, but... I'd like to think that uh, Genesis chapter 3 happened on a Tuesday as well. See, the greatest investment that was ever known, God making humanity in his own image, seemingly crashed on that day. When he gave us all of his attention and love and walked with humanity in the garden and spoke with humanity, and then we willingly turned our back on him. And then on Good Friday... It seemed that Satan had his own day of infamy as the forces of evil appeared victorious for a moment. But then Christ rose from the grave on Easter Sunday having his own D-Day and defeated sin, death, and Satan. You may be going through the Great Depression in your own life right now and you may feel like there's a war going on each and every day and maybe it's just a struggle to get out of bed. And let me affirm that those feelings are real. There is a war going on. And the time between D-Day and V-Day, people still died. People still got wounded. 
But see, we know something. We know that we have the victory in Christ. We know the end of this. We know how it'll all go down. The good news of Christ is that no matter what investments may have crashed in your life up to this point, you don't have to be afraid and to bury your gifts. God risked everything for a stiff-necked people with the kind of investment that doesn't make any sense in the natural eyes. He wanted to make the investment for us so that sin and death could no longer separate us from the presence of God. So when he hung there on the tree, he cried out, my God, my God, so that you and I may cry out, my Father, my Father, and enter into relationship with him. Christ loved with this type of extreme, extravagant love. This isn't a God to be fearfully immobilized by. This is a God that wants to enter into a relationship with us because he first risked for us. Christ enabled us to trade a lifestyle defined by Black Tuesday principles for one that's liberated by Good Friday principles. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for risking for us, Lord, for coming to earth, for dying for us, for loving us so extravagantly, Lord, to, to come for us even after we had already turned our back on you. And we thank you for giving us the opportunity to enter into a kingdom-principled life even now on this earth. We pray that your kingdom would come, Lord, and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that we would live lives that are honoring to you and that you would be glorified. Be with us now as we go out. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to ask the worship team to come forward. Please stand and sing with us. Take thy life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise, let them flow with ceaseless praise. Take my hands and Yeah.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen.